Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So as you can hear, I've still got a cold. The perpetual cold continues. I'm actually feeling a bit better today, so hopefully should be okay. Um, But yeah, I do apologise if I sound a bit stuffy. As you know, if you listen to the podcast a bit recently, uh, I've had quite a lot of illnesses. (laughs) So the... uh, unfortunately the trend continues um i'm just hoping i get over this cold and then manage to um manage to remain healthy at christmas so i can have a bit of a break but let's get straight into today's episode and and crack on with some of the interesting developments because this is another recent events podcast because there's been a lot of recent events I keep meaning to do some other episodes about speculation type things and whatnot but there's just so much happening at the moment um I don't know if it's just coming up to the end of the year and people are just kind of thinking, well, just, you know, get all the information out there. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot going on at the moment and I'm not complaining because it's really interesting. Every day I kind of wake up and open Twitter and it's like some crazy things happen. So I'm not complaining. As I say, it's great, but like we better get stuck in because there's plenty to get through. So first of all, there's been a really interesting article with an accompanying video uh, that's been uh, released on Vice News. And it basically talks about uh, Gary Nolan. So Dr. Gary Nolan, somebody I've talked about on the podcast before, and uh, just a little bit of background, he's a professor of pathology at um, Stanford University. And his uh, research consists of things to do with cancer and um, immunology. And he's very highly respected in his field, uh, has made um, over 300 research articles, uh, quite a number of of US patents, and founded uh, quite eight biotech companies, and is seen as one of Stanford's top 25 inventors. So he's a very highly credentialed individual, highly respected and alongside all of that he's actually got a very strong interest in ufos and uap so um it's uh, great to see somebody that's so highly respected uh, in his in his field um looking into seriously scientifically as well looking into uh, ufos and one of the main areas that he's been involved in is actually analysing some of the material from UAP incidents and crash retrievals and things like that, which we'll get into the specifics of in a little bit more detail uh, shortly. Um, but the first thing that I actually heard about Gary Nolan was he was the scientist who, um, you may remember there was a Stephen Greer film a while back, and I can't for the life of me remember which film it was, but one of Stephen Greer's films, um, he essentially had um, you know a lot of different uh, elements in the film, but one of the kind of crux points, one of the main points was this body, this um, a dead body which basically was kind of a very small um uh, stature and it was 
it was claimed by Stephen Greer in the film that this was an alien body and this was the smoking gun proof that aliens have been here on Earth and look, here it is, we've got one of them. So it was called the Atacama Skeleton and uh, Gary Nolan actually saw this and uh, having an interest in the UFO topic in general he, and, and some of the you know expertise to actually be able to look into this definitively prove whether or not it really was uh, an alien body, he reached out to Stephen Greer and essentially was able to determine that it was genetic mutations causing the deformities and the, the, the physical uh, properties of, of the skeleton and... Um, it was actually, sadly, just a deformed infant um, which had suffered some uh, severe genetic mutations and caused things like an elongation of the head and some very unusual characteristics that at first glance does look alien. So it's actually quite a sad story, uh, really, when you, think, when you actually get to the bottom of it. But big props to Gary Nolan for actually getting stuck in there and doing the scientific work to find out the truth you know because what we don't want is scientists who are just trying to kind of you know jump through the necessary hoops to sort of back up a ufologist claim we don't want that well you don't if you want the truth anyway what you actually want is a real scientific investigation because i don't want to be buying into something unless i know that a proper scientific scientific investigation has taken place and that there's real facts and data and proof behind it um but Gary Nolan actually got a bit of grief from some within the UFO community that didn't want to hear the scientific analysis because they'd already decided, based on Greer's film, that you know they wanted it to be an alien and so on. Um, but it just wasn't an alien from the scientific investigation that took place, and that just is what it is. But then, essentially, what happened after that um, was that Gary Nolan got his, um, you know, a bit of publicity, basically, off the back of this uh, Atacama uh, alien body thing. I mean, it was like, you know, clickbaity articles of, like, Stanford professor looks at alien body genetics and stuff like that. Um, obviously, it turned out that he was actually saying that it wasn't alien, but, the, the, you know, the, the clickbaity headlines uh, write themselves, don't they, in that case? So... What happened was, according to Gary Nolan, he was then approached by, quote, people associated with the CIA and some aeronautics corporations, unquote. And then when he was pressed on the actual um, specifics of where those people were based, etc., he declined to elaborate further on who they were. But you can kind of make your own assumptions, I suppose. Um you know, could it have been ATIP slash ORSAP, possibly, or maybe some kind of separate program? You know, there has been talk, you know, from people supposedly in the know about multiple programs and reverse engineering programs and all different departments, you know, compartmentalized within some of the programs that we do know that exist. And it's it's um it's a confusing, tricky area, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me to find out that there are more um, you know, programs looking into UFOs, UAP, and, and the materials uh, recovered. Uh, you know, perhaps not directly called crash retrieval programs, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that there were multiple of those programs, and perhaps one of those was the one that contacted uh, Gary Nolan. Who knows? Um, but I think this specific thing that um, he was actually contacted to look into was the programs looking into biological effects which again it's quite likely that there's programs looking at materials programs looking at sightings and videos and, and you know experimenting into finding out different aspects of the phenomenon and there's also programs looking into uh, the 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 biological effects and that's specifically what gary nolan was basically asked to look at which I think in itself is quite groundbreaking. I mean, he was actually uh, directly asked to work on MRI scans of people's brains who've been in contact with uh, UFOs and you know UAP in general uh, from from various different backgrounds. And it's um, it seems that you know there's been some excitement about Lou Elizondo talking about biological effects, and this is basically you know a very highly respected uh, scientist openly coming out in an interview with a mainstream news organization or at least relatively mainstream 
talking about how he was basically recruited by the CIA and some private aeronautics corporations to monitor the biological effects that UAP have had on, you know, I think it was a hundred individuals or a, a large number anyway of individuals that have been in contact with UAP, which is really quite, um, quite a big, a big, you know, drop of information there really, I thought. And, um, in, in the Vice article, it says that, that, you know the these MRIs directly showed pretty significant damage to the to the brains um, of uh, some of these individuals, and it specifically says in the article that they these uh, these were a number of cases of pilots who'd gotten close to supposed UAPs and the fields generated by them. Um, that that was what was claimed by the people that, that showed up at his office unannounced one day uh, from the, the backgrounds that I just mentioned earlier on. And that's very interesting. And he goes into the specifics of what the damage was. And he says it's um, similar to what you see with somebody that's got multiple sclerosis. There's something called white matter disease, which is scarring. It's like a, a white blob, apparently, which is sort of scattered through the, the MRI scan. And if you go to the Vice News, if you just type in Gary Nolan Vice News, it comes up at the top on, on Google. And you can actually see photographs of examples of this as well, which is very interesting. And essentially, it's, it's dead tissue within the brain where the immune system is actually attacked to the brain, which is what happens when you've got multiple sclerosis. But it's similar effect um with these people who have been in contact with these uap and the fields around uaps um and uh, i'm just looking at the article now and it says it was around 100 patients so that's what i was talking about just a moment ago and they were all um or almost all defense or governmental personnel or people working in the aerospace industry uh, people doing government level work so it's uh, very interesting that he was actually specifically looking at people who've been damaged the brains had been damaged by UAP, which is is very bizarre. And it also a, a quarter of them out of the hundred, or about a quarter of them died from their injuries, which is really quite significant. And then it goes into actually the comparisons with the uh, the Havana syndrome. Now this is a weird area that uh, that's quite quite fascinating because. Lou Elizondo mentioned we were going to be hearing more about Havana Syndrome. I can't remember the interview that he mentioned it on now because he's, he's done that many interviews. It's a bit hard to keep track of where he said what, to be fair. But he did say a little while back, a few months ago now, that we were going to be hearing a lot more about Havana Syndrome and how it's linked. And uh, here we are talking about you know Gary Nolan coming out and talking about the, the direct damage that's been done to people's brains and how it's very similar to Havana syndrome and something that was really quite disturbing um, was he actually specifically mentions that someone at Skinwalker Ranch suffered brain damage but the the conclusion was that that was actually by a state actor which is really worrying, like what state? And apparently they determined that it was not UAP related in the case of this individual who suffered this severe brain damage at Skinwalker Ranch and that it was actually a state actor. Um, very, very bizarre. I'm not, not, not sure what to make of that. I mean, you know, is it possible that the Russians or the Chinese or somebody else, you know, some adversarial nation have got some kind of, um, you know, energy beam weapon or something like that, which can directly attack people's brains? Um, I wouldn't suggest that that was completely out of the realms of possibility. Perhaps that explains why people in some of these embassies within, um, you know, some countries have, have had this Havana syndrome and it's caused them, you know, health issues. It could be something like that but the question is why would that be taking place at skinwalker ranch you know very very bizarre and that opens up some quite awkward questions as well like how much of these effects are UA uap related whereas where's the line with you know havana syndrome and, and how is that all linked into the phenomenon i don't really have any answers at this point but it does kind of open up some some tricky conversations there and uh, Gary Nolan also mentions about the uh, MRI scans of, of people uh, who he investigated. And 
are talking about the, the, the basal ganglia uh, region of the brain, which is apparently enlarged in people who have seen UFOs. And uh, apparently that, that's something I'd heard about before. I remember James Iandoli mentioning this to me when he was on the podcast. Um, and, you know, again, here we are. It's, it's coming up once again here. So um, apparently this, this enlargement of that particular region of the brain, which is associated with, um, you know, a higher incidence of UAP sightings is apparently genetic and somehow linked to intuition, um, you know, and people who basically have this enhanced ability to be highly intuitive, imaginative, intelligent, make snap decisions, etc., is linked to this particular part of the brain. And also, perhaps as a side effect, these people are more likely to witness UFOs. So as you can see there, Gary Nolan's been doing some very quite in-depth study into you know people's brains and and the biological effects of ufos and and interestingly there apparently that that um enlargement of the basal ganglia region doesn't happen as a result of seeing ufos he says no quite clearly that that's not the case so it's not as though you see a ufo and then this alteration in your brain occurs apparently he's more along the lines of thinking that it's pre-existing a genetic um a sort of like a, a genetic disposition uh, so that your your that particular region of your brain is just a little bit larger than normal and apparently when people who have been found to have this um, anomaly in the brain um, have been checked and their families have been checked it's also within the families as well so um, it would appear to be a genetic thing and uh, another couple of interesting little points that were mentioned uh, by Gary Nolan in the in the video where he's talking with the the vice presenter um, is that the senses are reductive, and that's that's something about I'd spoken about on a, on the podcast a few episodes back now is this concept of the sort of doors of perception that the senses aren't picking up everything that exists within reality they're actually filtering off a lot of parts of reality that you don't necessarily need for your own survival and i talked about this a bit like the the fish that live right at the bottom of the ocean um they don't have particularly good eyesight so they've just because they don't need it because you can't see a lot down there so their sense of sight is massively reduced but they may have massively increased senses in other areas like being able to feel vibration, for example, to feel when a fish is swimming past. And the senses are just there to to give us enough of a perception of reality um, to allow us to survive. And actually, the doors of perception concept is, imagine a, a room that's just surrounded by doors. So all the walls of this room are just doors. And your consciousness is what exists basically within that room and reality is everything outside of the room so if you open one door it's allowing your consciousness to see a little bit of that reality that's outside and uh, this is something that Aldous Huxley talked about years and years ago and, and as I've mentioned on the podcast before it's where the name The Doors you know the band uh, The Doors that's where the name comes from so the idea of it is if all of those doors were open at once all of reality can get into your consciousness and it would basically like blow your mind because you, you your brain your consciousness couldn't comprehend everything that's coming in so there's only certain doors that are open and it, some of these doors might only be a little bit open and um you know there's some some talk about if you take uh, psychedelic substances such as you know uh, dmt ayahuasca um, psilocybin these things actually allow certain doors to be open that wouldn't normally be open. So again, it's, I just thought that was quite interesting, this concept of the senses being reductive and um, some people have doors that are slightly more open than others and everyone's perception of reality might be slightly different and some of that can actually be explained by this enlargement of this basal ganglia area within the brain. Uh, another interesting idea um, that was that was kind of touched on was the idea that uh, if you had intelligent ants in your garden, they wouldn't have any idea what was going on in the kitchen. 
and that, that was something that Gary Norwin said and I just I think it was very interesting because again it's something that's used a lot as an analogy the idea of you know ants and you know ants are just can be an inconvenience or sometimes you might just exterminate them and you wouldn't really feel any guilt and it's quite a sobering thought that you know we could be you know as behind uh, some kind of extraterrestrial advanced civilization as what ants are to us you know there's that that possibility exists we know that the universe is billions of years old what if out there there was a an advanced civilization that was a million years more advanced than us it literally would be the difference between us and ants you know us and the the extraterrestrial civilization and it kind of begs the question if you did want to communicate with those ants in your garden, how would you do it? You'd be on such a different wavelength of, of thinking and communication. You know, it'd be almost impossible. You could go right down to the, the ants nest and, and scream at the ants and they just wouldn't even know what was going on. They'd just be a bit baffled by it and carry on with the day. You know, it's such a, a massive gap in terms of advancement that it's just, it's almost impossible to even try to communicate and uh, maybe the one thing that you would do if you were going to try and communicate would be to, and, and this is what Gary Nolan was saying in the video, is that you would perhaps make something that looks a little bit like an ant and place it in the ant's nest to manipulate the behaviour of the ants because there's no way to openly communicate because the gap is just too big. Um, so that's perhaps something that you might do. And it's quite an interesting thought in terms of how that relates to the phenomenon. You know, maybe that could explain a little bit of some of the things that we that are being witnessed so another thing then a little uh, little nugget that i got from that particular interview was to have a group of scientists who are supposed to be leading thinkers debase people who are interested in thinking about new ideas to me that's heretical and that's a direct quote there again from Gary Nolan. I just really like his way of thinking about this. You know, it's it's the Avi Loeb school of thought, isn't it? You know, the let's just be open-minded. The public are curious about things. Yeah, funnily enough, it links into a bit of a a bit of a uh, sort of debate that that occurred on on Twitter last night. Uh, one of the listeners um, of the show uh, had um, sort of tagged myself and a couple of others, Andy from that UFO podcast and, and Dave Smethurst and Dan uh, from that UFO podcast as well, um, uh, in this thing uh, which was talking about a BBC show where Brian Cox was discussing um, the topic of extraterrestrial life and so on. And essentially, um, Brian Cox is very dismissive. It was a, a year or two ago now, I think, the particular a show that was on and and i was kind of uh, wondering you know whether or not that would be any different now if the conversation took place again because a lot has changed in the last couple of years um but i'm sort of not very convinced that it would be i think there's just this strange um unwillingness to to you know to actually engage with this topic from some scientists and not all because like I say Avi Loeb you know very highly credentialed scientist who's really seems to be quite keen to engage this and Gary Nolan same thing you know we're talking about some of the top scientists in the world with these individuals and they're quite keen so it begs the question why is Brian Cox you know one of the UK's top scientists very and, and very importantly a, a kind of a face of science in the UK you know like um, a celebrity scientist if you will because I don't think Avi Loeb or Gary Nolan are, are celebrity scientists in the same way that Brian Cox and Neil deGrasse Tyson are so why is it that Neil deGrasse Tyson and Brian Cox are so dismissive of this and just they almost laugh it off you know, and, and don't really want to take it seriously. And my point is that I made last night was the public are curious. I don't think that's even a question anymore. I think most people are quite curious about UFOs and whether or not there is life out there in the universe, especially in light of how seriously the US government are taking this now and then the knock-on effect that that has around the world. So why are these you know celebrity scientists unwilling to to you know have a serious conversation about it without kind of laughing and smirking very odd is it the stigma they just don't want their 
you know, perhaps from a slightly selfish point of view, which would be understandable, perhaps they just don't want to tarnish their reputation with that stigma that's been associated with UFOs because as much as that stigma has reduced a bit, it's still there, you know, or is it the, the public perception you know, they're worried that if they mention it and take seriously the conversation, they might be seen as the UFO scientist or whatever, and they just don't want that from sort of like a, um, you know, a public relations point of view. They just don't want to go down that path. Um, maybe it's just not in their area of specialty, you know. So Neil deGrasse Tyson isn't specifically, you know, looking for extraterrestrials and, you know, he just thinks, oh, that's not really my area. I'm not going to go into it. I don't know. It doesn't seem very logical that that would be why it is, I suppose. But I have heard people talk about that before, that, like, scientists have very specialist areas when you get to these high levels. Um, so perhaps, the, you know, that conversation, they don't consider it to really be in their wheelhouse as such. But then again, you know, you could say that about any scientist, really. It doesn't stop them from having an opinion and being curious, does it? You know, but I think, you know, scientists a scientist you know science is all about data reproducible data and i think that's what neil degrasse tyson's point is a lot of times is that there is no hard data about this you know but then at the same time that's why the galileo project and other projects exist isn't it that's why gary nolan is looking into these things in the way that he is which is to get data so that then we can have data there and analyze it and have conversations about it so I don't really understand Neil deGrasse Tyson and Brian Cox in particular, especially being such a public face of science. It's disappointing that they're so dismissive and want to just seem to laugh it off when it really seems to go against the principles that they should stand for, really. But anyway, there's always the more sinister concept that they have been approached, you know, by somebody who is you know perhaps within certain departments of, of governments that actually doesn't really want the public face of science you know having the conversation there's you know it sounds a bit conspiratorial but you know there's a possibility there if you if you did want to manage public the public's perception of this issue that would be a good way to go about it wouldn't it to you know to to really go for the figurehead of science you know because that's what they are isn't it neil degrasse tyson is the figurehead the face of science in the u.s i can't think of a more well-known in the mainstream scientist than you know ndt and in the uk brian cox is very much the same kind of figure so those two in particular you know if you wanted to control public perception, yeah, they might be people that you'd approach. Uh, you know, Sam Harris did say that he'd been approached as a leading podcaster and academic and somebody who talks about heavyweight issues and things. He said that he'd been approached, although there was nothing really that came of that, was there? So was he saying that? I don't think he would lie. It's a tricky one. I'm not going to serve a sort of um, you know definitive answer to that, but I just thought I'd quickly dig into that why these guys aren't taking it seriously because it does seem to defy logic. But anyway, the um, materials, I'll get into the materials in particular because that is um, the, the kind of the other area. So, so far I've been talking mostly about the biological effects that Gary Nolan have been looking into. Um, and now let's dig into the materials. So these materials were, for the most part, uh, from what I gather, sent to Jacques Vallée um, from the public after making his address available online. And um, the idea of it was that uh, people who had witnessed UAP and um, seen sort of like strange objects falling to the ground uh, and, and things like that, or debris uh, of some nature, they were actually sent to Jacques Vallée. And um, the ones that were actually shown on the video were very small and the presenter sort of refers to them as a bit anticlimactic and things like that. But he makes three points which I thought I'd go through because they're quite interesting. So point number one is these things come from observers who seemingly have no reason to lie, um, who claim to have seen vehicles that broke the bounds of our current understandings of aerospace limits. Point number two, they have isotopic ratios that are not found naturally. 
but I'm just going to quickly add there that doesn't necessarily mean that they're impossible to create so they're not necessarily found in the natural world but it is possible for humans to create these isotopic ratios it's not or at least it doesn't seem to be being put across that these things couldn't be created by humans. Like I've heard things about atomic layering and so forth that, that suggest that there is no way that humans could have created these these various different alloys and types of metals. Uh, from what I gather, that's not what we're talking about here. They could be created by humans, but the question is more, why? Why would you? Because there's no apparent use for, for these particular um, constructed materials. Anyway, the third point is that a top Stanford uh, microbiologist isn't ruling out extraterrestrial origin. Now, having said that, it's that old classic thing, isn't it, within the UFO thing of if somebody won't rule out something, then people take that to mean that, you know, it's it must be alien or something you know that's not necessarily what it is so we've got to sort of remember to take things with a bit of a pinch of salt and uh you know it's the same with articles as well because you know the thing is the the presenter of this particular um video um and, and in the article basically say that atip was the program that got the 22 million of funding which was actually not the case and that's widely accepted now that actually orsap got the 22 million of funding and atip didn't get that funding although it is a gray area and it's a bit tricky because um lou elizondo himself has stated in the past that atip did have funding and other people have said the same the same thing it's very unclear where that funding came from but it is widely accepted now that it was orsap that got the 22 million of funding and it was a little bit disappointing to see this big you know Vice News article um, making quite a big error really there saying that it was ATIP that got 22 million of funding but you know it's understandable because it's a grey area I'm going to make mistakes sometimes you know just like anybody else so it's one of them things not the end of the world and everything else that was in there seemed to stand up really seemed to be quite accurate so um, moving into the actual objects then that were uh, analysed so we have the uh, Uber Tuber um, objects which were come from an object seen by a fisherman which uh, was like a, a glowing object in the sky which exploded uh, leaving this debris and this was apparently a mix of normal um, sort of like regular naturally found magnesium and some kind of altered magnesium which had isotopic ratios that are not found in the natural world so that was quite interesting because the way that it was described by Gary Nolan was that it's almost like within the same material that some of it had normal isotopic ratios and some of it didn't. And he said that it's like if you got chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream and you mix them together just like very, very quickly, loosely, a couple of stirs and then leave it, can you imagine that you'd have like swirls of bits of chocolate and swirls of bits of vanilla and it wouldn't all be fully mixed together. It'd just be like, you know, part of it would be chocolate still and part of it would be vanilla. That's like what the material was. So it's very baffling that some of it seem to have normal ratios and some of it didn't and it can sort of lead you to speculate as to why that is and you know gary nolan again talks about you know some of the the possibilities about why you know why would that be the case like there isn't any apparent reason that any production you know manufacturing uh, on earth for humans would even want to create something like that so it is anomalous there is no question about that um which is very interesting so that was the uber tuba um piece of uh, of, of debris and uh, also uh, there's another piece mentioned as well which is bismuth and uh, Gary Nolan couldn't remember the origin of the particular uh, piece of material here so they actually phoned um, Hal Puttoff um, so he uh, said that it was sent anon anonymously from an army officer who had found it in his grandfather's archive and the, apparently it was, it was a piece from Roswell which is very interesting because I didn't realise that uh, that piece was actually from Roswell. I'd, I'd seen pictures of this particular piece before, if it's the, the piece that I'm thinking of. And um, 
Yeah, I wasn't aware that it was actually from, supposedly at least, from Roswell. And this particular bismuth has properties which relate to being a waveguide for terahertz frequencies, which uh, Gary Nolan describes as the, the sort of next thing for radio communication. So very unusual because, and I've heard about this particular piece before, um, and uh, it seems to almost be something that would be very useful in a technology that humans actually haven't mastered yet, which again seems very anomalous, doesn't it? It doesn't seem, you know, like there's no reason anybody would have created this piece of material at this point on, on this planet, you know, because it's, it relates to a technology, a capability that we don't have yet. So it's very interesting, that one. And uh, there's um, another object, apparently, as well, that's mentioned that somebody's got in touch with Gary Nolan about, which is he's actually going to follow through on and look into, which is a glowing object which dropped like a molten metal. And again, that's something I've heard of before, which you know is, is is quite an interesting concept this this idea that um uaps actually kind of drop like a molten metal out of the the uap itself and there's some sort of speculation is it could be some byproduct of their uh, propulsion system you know or their energy generation system or or even perhaps that the the craft itself is is alive in some way and um this is is literally a waste product of this living metal craft and there was even some uh, some mention of um molten metal could actually be used as part of the inner workings of the craft it's, it's theoretically possible um you know to have actual molten metal perhaps certain alloys and certain metals in a molten state would be some kind of superconductor or it would be essential in some way for the propulsion systems or whatever technology is on board these craft who knows who knows but it's all interesting to consider so talking about all these materials um it's we've got to go into uh, the gary nolan and jacques valet paper um analyzing these materials which has been long anticipated which as far as i can gather is actually out now um but the thing is with this particular paper is that all I've been able to find is the actual paper itself is is behind a paywall. So the concept of, of, of this is that it's been released, but it's only available if you pay for it, which is about £50. So basically, I haven't got the money to do that, so I'm not going to be able to say I've read the paper. Um, whether or not it's going to be free down the line, I'm not really too sure how it all works with academic, with academic papers, but... Unfortunately, I've been ill so much recently. I'm not really feeling too flush in terms of money at the moment. So, uh, I'm a you know ordinary working class guy from the north of England. I haven't got a lot of money. I I can't really afford, especially before Christmas after having a lot of time off work recently. Uh, I definitely can't afford to be buying this paper, which is really frustrating. But um, it is what it is. So um, what I have managed to find, though, is a summary article of the, what is included in the paper, which is uh, uh, quite interesting. So the paper itself is called, um, okay, you better get ready for this one. It's a mouthful. So the paper is improved instrumental techniques, including isotopic analysis applicable to the characterization of unusual materials with potential relevance to aerospace forensics. I told you it was a mouthful. And this paper was actually made available on uh, the 9th of December 2021. And we'll get stuck into it. So there's a few things mentioned. It obviously all basically comes down to the, the analysis of um, materials and how best to go about that. And it's split up into different sections. So the first section reviews the analytical processes which are currently in use such as mass spectrometry and x-ray spectroscopy and the second section uh, is entitled basic approaches for the initial characterization of unknown materials and that's all about um, using material analysis which is based on inductively coupled plasma mass spectrometry which is one of these very new methods of, of analyzing these materials which i've mentioned on the podcast before 
and also secondary ion mass spectrometry so these basically determine the masses of atomic components of of the actual material itself and um, some various other processes to analyze material discussed in there as well and then section three is investigating unknown material collected in the field a case study and this specifically concerns an incident on the 17th of December 1977 in Council Bluffs, Iowa. So I had heard of this one before, but not really in that much detail. So I did look into this a little bit. And essentially what it was, was a red luminous mass was observed by some residents of Council Bluffs as it sort of fell to earth near the, the limits, the city limits. And the witnesses actually found some molten metal that was glowing red, red orange type of colour and burning the grass and things like that. And the police and the fire brigade actually attended the scene and they all saw this particular, you know, mass of molten metal, which was estimated round about apparently 35 to 55 pounds in weight and an investigation was conducted uh, to find out whether it may be an industrial accident an aeronautical malfunction or a meteorite and so on um, but it was basically um, concluded that it wasn't space debris because there was no um, no sort of like crater it didn't really make sense the type of metal that it was that it would be um space debris it couldn't really have been um a meteorite for the same reasons uh, and it, it probably wasn't a hoax there have been some theories that i've heard about this particular case that it may have been a hoax so apparently there was a car full of a small car with teenagers on board who apparently said uh, pulled up and said to a couple of the witnesses oh did you see that thing that just happened and then drove off so some people have speculated that that's an unusual response and perhaps they'd actually engineered this kind of prank but i don't know it's it seems a bit unlikely to me that a bunch of teenagers in a small car would have some kind of um you know container full of molten metal which they then pour out and fire a flare into the sky to show apparently show something descending to attract people to the area to find this molten metal it's a bit of a far-fetched story and that seems to be the most prominent sort of um you know uh, debunker skeptic explanation for for what happened there so it seems a bit dubious to me obviously it's possible but um yeah anyway let's move on so it apparently a couple of the witnesses there was there was around about 11 witnesses and um, a couple of them actually saw a round object hovering in the sky with red blinking lights so the material itself when it was analyzed had um some various different sort of uh, materials within it various components so solid metal like a slag type of um, material and white ash inclusions and um valet provided a piece of that material for, for further testing and initially they concluded that the the, the materials within the sample were consistent with a uh, an earth-based you know ordinary origin but the multiplexed ion beam imaging instrument which which is one of those really new recently developed um methods of uh, instrumentation to actually measure things uh, like material components uh, was actually able to measure a broader range of isotopes and using that particular method it was concluded that all of the isotopic ratios were similar between the samples and did not show any statistically significant deviations from expected terrestrial origins so essentially it's basically saying that there is not really anything about this that suggests that it couldn't have been made, you know, on, on the earth. And, um, the, the sort of conclusion section apparently says that our experience with this particular case study, the council bluffs case, uh, study shows how difficult such a determination can be. Even when abundant evidence is collected within minutes of an event supported by re reliable testimony from multiple witnesses and in well-defined meteorolo meteorological conditions. So it's, it's a tricky one because 
there doesn't really seem to be from what I gather and obviously like I said just now I haven't read the paper so without reading the paper in more detail there could be things in there that I haven't I haven't been able to find out but it does seem as though essentially the materials for the most part don't show anything that is you know un, un, unable to occur naturally in, in nature in this planet um, or if if they do because it apparently seems to be that there are some samples that are, that have been analyzed that do show isotopic ratios that are anomalous but they could have been created here on earth so slightly disappointing in, in a way but on the other hand there are some anomalous findings there maybe not as mind-blowing as you would perhaps want like it's, it's not as though you know the, the when these things have been analyzed with this new equipment it's been found that um oh my god it, this is there's no way humans could have created this and it couldn't have occurred naturally it has to be extraterrestrial that's actually not the case here but um two out of the 12 samples had anomalous isotopic ratios including two separate samples from that same incident that i mentioned earlier um so that's that's anomalous in, in and of itself and um gary nolan had actually been speaking to people on on twitter as well about this and i've actually uh, made a note of, of what he said um so mike colangelo uh, on twitter had asked um in response to one of gary's tweets thanks gary for giving this research the attention it needs if i comprehended the vice article accurately there are currently at least two pieces that remain special or unknown the other 10 out of the 12 are more mundane question mark and gary nolan uh, kindly responded to that with um quote mundane insofar as anyone with a smelter and a semi-purified metals could create while interesting, worth cataloging, and resource money to do detailed study is lacking. The claimed circumstances around the materials are interesting, but can, will, in brackets, always be dismissible as hearsay. So he's basically saying that the materials there, you know, 10 out of those 12 could be created by anybody that could melt metals down and, and, and make alloys, you know, but still interesting and unfortunately the one of the main things about these these particular materials is the the background but that's always going to be dismissible as hearsay so you know the fact that these things dropped out of a, an anomalous object in the sky people were always going to question that you know and unfortunately the actual material analysis didn't show anything definitive but uh, there's another comment that he made as well which is worth looking at which is um somebody had, had commented something along the lines of the fact that the two um out of the 12 samples um showed something anomalous with the isotopic ratios that it's proof that it's from elsewhere so uh, gary nolan replied to to that comment saying quote no proof from elsewhere just data that suggests and in brackets suggests not proves that the ratios were engineered could have been engineered by some company not impossible just no practical reason to do that can be found in the literature so it's basically saying that you know these things you can't prove they're from elsewhere but they are anomalous and weird because there's no reason that anybody would want to create those particular ratios apart from i suppose for a hoax but it seems again far-fetched that somebody would go to those lengths just to create a hoax and uh um there's another uh, comment as well um similar thing a lot of people sort of suggesting that the two out of the 12 that were anomalous isotopic ratios is some kind of hardcore proof um that these things are from elsewhere and that he has alien you know i think i think there was a, a tweet saying gary nolan has parts of a ufo craft and he, and he re replied to that particular um uh, tweet saying i don't ever recall going that far i have materials given to me with interesting claimed histories and reasonable chains of custody no matter what anything needs verification and validation and not just by me science needs to be reproducible but i do appreciate the interest and i wouldn't be talking about it if i didn't think it was worth discussion and reason speculation so again that's what it's all about isn't it we're talking about you know you've got to 
be willing to speculate you've got to be willing to have everything on the table but at the same time it all comes down to data data is king you know it's just so difficult to get data when it comes to the ufo topic unfortunately so these samples are anomalous in a sense but there's no mention of atomic layering in terms of being impossible for us to do currently it's still you know interesting food for thought um but you know perhaps slightly disappointed in some ways perhaps really interested in other ways so to summarize that as best i can then um the the fact remains that that gary nolan is, is a very very highly respected scientist with a real interest in this and he's looking into this from the point of view of getting to the bottom of the actual truth and analyzing materials and uh, he he has been approached and worked with people within uh, the government of america and private aerospace contractors and things like that we can't reveal but he has worked on biological effects of people exposed to uap and his studies into that have apparently revealed some alarming links with havana syndrome and um you know that that like i said earlier opens up some weird areas to look into some some sort of crossover of um what havana syndrome actually is and how is it that you know there's apparently some state actors using the same kind of interference technology that that people come into contact with when they're exposed to uap apparently some state actors again whatever that means are also using this technology and have targeted it supposedly at an individual on skinwalker ranch so that's really quite disturbing to me but again something to look into for the future but as I say, the actual materials uh, from this, this long-awaited analysis um, are interesting, but not mind-blowing. So a couple of other little bits and pieces uh, to go into as well before we wrap up. A couple of other things I found quite interesting. So first of all, there's another uh, article from Avi Loeb uh, that came out just recently. Uh, Avi Loeb's quite prolific, really, when it comes to articles. And uh, uh, basically, the, the full... Um, the, the full article, probably worth a read if you like Avi Loeb, as I do. Um, obviously, the the, uh, the the sort of mind behind the Galileo Project, which is yet another fantastic initiative, which is looking into UFOs. And um, the, the concept of this particular article uh, that Avi Loeb has written is we should keep in mind the remote possibility that a technological civilization predated us on Earth. Now, I thought that was really interesting because it's something that I've been talking about a lot on the podcast recently um, when I had Dave Smethurst on the podcast uh, just now. If you missed that one, it was the first Voices of the Community type episode where I talked to sort of, you know, ordinary quote unquote people within the uh, UFO uh, topic. And we talked about this possibility of if there was an advanced civilization that could have been here on the earth, um, you know, that, that perhaps if they existed long enough ago, there would be no trace of them left. And perhaps, um, you know, um, they, they could have been way more advanced than us even. So direct quoting from uh, Avi Loeb's article here, quote, we should also keep in mind the remote possibility that a technological civilization predated us on Earth. If it existed hundreds of millions of years ago, any of its relics on the ground would have likely been destroyed by now or buried deep underground through geological activity. However, if this early culture launched equipment to space, some of it might still be around and could be detected by the Galileo project, unquote. So I thought that was really interesting. And just to fully jump down the woo-woo rabbit hole for a second, something that I speculated in the early days of the podcast is, what if some of the, um, you know, whatever percentage of UAP or UFOs could be, could be explained this way, you know, is open to sort of speculation, but what if some of, of that is actually... A civilization from the distant past what if humans or some kind of civilization existed here on earth maybe you know a hundred million years ago and they were able to travel forward in time to see the future and perhaps that's what we're seeing when we see ufos you know like i said i, I just jumped down the woo-woo rabbit hole so you know it's pretty out there thinking but i think 
it's good to be out there sometimes. But to hear Avi Loeb talking about things like that, very interesting. And there has been a lot more conversations, like Lou Elizondo mentioned recently that uh, 70,000 years ago, there was um, a drastic reduction in, in the human population and that certain things happened. And, um, you know, John Ramirez has been talking about, um, you know, hybridization and, and things like that. It's always interesting to me when a trend pops up you know all of a sudden there's this these these conversations about uh things that happened in the distant past and potential influencing of of life on this planet and you know it's an interesting one to see avi Loeb talking about something i guess similar so yeah i definitely recommend reading that article and just checking out everything that avi Loeb does because he's an absolute legend and uh, he has an approach that i'm i'm all about you know scientifically looking into this thing trying to find that hard data that's the same data that's going to convince brian cox and neil degrasse tyson to take this stuff seriously you know uh, or at least hopefully anyway so last thing to mention then is uapx so UAPX is, um, again, another organization that I've mentioned um, quite a lot recently. And the, the purpose of UAPX is basically to research UFOs, UAP, and giving direct access to the data that they manage to find. And it's, a, it's an organization, a group of people who... Um, uh, some of them are uh, military veterans, some of them are scientists, and they've got together and uh, created this, um, Jeremy, Jeremy McGowan has created this uh, Land Rover vehicle with all these sensors attached to it, which is really cool um, uh, vehicle. I like Land Rovers at the best of times, so to see one with like alien hunting technology on board is pretty amazing. Um Although I think they've had a few issues with the actual vehicle, typical Land Rover, it breaks down all the time. There's a there's an old saying in the uh, in the UK. We love our Land Rovers in the UK. I know there's a lot of American listeners, um, so yeah, obviously the UK are proudly the home of Land Rover and Range Rover. Um, but there's a bit of a saying as well. They're kind of renowned as not being the most reliable vehicles, fantastic vehicles, but not necessarily reliable. And uh, the old saying is. If you want to go into the wilderness, go in a Land Rover. If you want to come back from the wilderness, go in a Land Cruiser. Because <laughs> Land Rovers ain't the most reliable. Uh, you know, the Toyotas and the the Hondas and some of the other off-road vehicles uh, from, from you know those parts of the world tend to just take everything you can throw at them as Land Rovers don't. But anyway, I digress. Uh, getting into um, so what their actual uh, release was, was basically... They have come out with a little statement, 2021 end of year results. And uh, they just state that throughout the year, they've been uh, going on expeditions and placing sensors. And um, some of that was funded by third parties. And uh, some of the funding, unfortunately, came with some restrictions on data release. Now, I have to admit, I find this a little bit contradictory because if your mission statement sets out that all of your data is then going to be available to the public and then you take funding from a third party, which then limits your uh, data release to the public, surely that's a bit contradictory. However, they are saying that those restrictions will hopefully um, expire between March and June 2022. And when they're allowed, they will provide that data to the public. And they're saying, I'm going to read this out, quote, Throughout 2021 and across multiple investigations, UAPX collected over 600 hours of infrared video from numerous FLIR cameras deployed at expedition locations. A combined total of three terabytes of visual imagery through multiple camera platforms. Over 100 hours of radiological data from both survey meters as well as a detector designed to measure highly energetic particles from different sources went over specific flux and close enough in proximity. Over 100 hours of quantum random number generator data, 1.4 gigabytes of data from RF spectrum analysis, and the company broadcast approximately 750 megabytes of digital data towards potential UFOs and UAP through the use of audio to multispectral output broadcast devices. 
So as you can see, they've really gone into some detail there to actually gather data um, around potential UAP hotspots and even including actually transmitting data actually towards potential UFOs and UAP, uh, which is uh, unusual. I've not really heard of people doing that before. Maybe they have, but interesting. And also, just to carry on with that, the general results from the data collection and analysis reveal a statistically significant number of anomalous objects and phenomena still undergoing examination before public release, the nature and type of which may suggest a definitive occurrence of UFO slash UAP presence and activity. Furthermore, UAPX believes that the number of incidents captured and undergoing analysis may present as statistically more significant than anticipated. Unquote. So that's a pretty big paragraph that I just read out there. They're basically saying they've done really quite significant, thorough analysis, um, or they're currently doing that analysis to determine uh, you know, whether or not that's 100%. But they think that they've found some pretty significant proof now that's very exciting as i say a little bit frustrating to have i saw somebody on reddit say um only in the ufo community could it, could you have an announcement of an announcement and people would lap it up and i thought that was quite funny because it kind of is let's be honest about it they're basically saying look we're just announcing that we're going to announce something down the line it, you know it is a bit frustrating it's a little bit annoying especially when it seems to contradict the mission statement of making everything open to the public and so on but having said that if you want to get funded sometimes you've got to make compromises so in in fairness to them at least they've uh, at least they've uh, given us a, a clear date as to when that that hopefully will be available so we'll have to see uh, whether or not that actually comes to fruition but to be honest with you it's just another interesting thing to look forward to for 2022 because we've got the Galileo project early 2022 they're going to have their first uh, sensor array up and running we've now got this as well uh, we've got potential reports coming throughout the year from the new uh, UAP office which is poised to be created thanks to the the, the Gillibrand amendment so there's a lot of interesting areas to keep an eye on with this kind of thing there's also lou elizondo's book on the horizon as well now i don't know when that's going to be but the, i guess it's fairly likely that could happen at some point throughout the next year so 2022 could really be quite a big year for, for ufos so plenty of exciting things as, as we finish 2021 and uh, get into the festive season a little bit it's um you know it's uh, there's a lot to look forward to and i think uh, the ufo twitter kind of world community should be should be very proud of of the direction that this is going in and and everybody's efforts towards helping that because make no mistake if you like a tweet you know if you retweet something if you do a little minor thing like that it all helps towards you know helping to legitimize this conversation to show politicians that there is interest there i heard ross coltart saying uh, in a recent interview that he, the response that he's had from his research into ufos and uap uh, it has been overwhelming and, and, and it's been it just shows the the you know a journalist like ross coltart highly respected journalist you know very quite well-known journalist famous guy uh, you know has looked into this and the report that the public's response has been you know overwhelmingly curious and and you know people taking it seriously it shows how much public interest there really is so as i say it's time to uh kick back a bit enjoy the festive season and uh look forward to what we've got coming in 2022 um because there's plenty of interesting things um to look forward to and obviously gary nolan you know like i said earlier it may be slightly disappointing what's come out in this particular analysis but as gary nolan himself said there's new cases that he's going to be looking into as well uh, and i'm sure there's probably others behind the scenes that he perhaps can't mention as well so there's lots of interesting areas to keep an eye on so gonna leave it there for now guys so um i hope you've enjoyed listening to this i get a lot of great feedback about the recent events episodes and um, just helps to kind of digest everything that's going on i suppose and you know um there's other podcasts as well that do similar things of rundowns of what's happening but the more voices we have talking about it the kind of the more it helps to make sense doesn't it so 
and uh, it certainly helps me to make sense of everything throughout the week as, as things happen I make notes and kind of think about things change my mind a little bit here and there and it really helps me to formulate you know to gather my thoughts on what's been going on in, in the UFO topic so uh, yeah well, these are going to keep happening as long as there's news there I'll be talking about it and um, yeah so for now don't forget you can uh, support the podcast on patreon because it I'll tell you what it really does help especially at the moment um, and it's uh, the way patreon works is you can basically donate uh, from a couple of pounds a month to the podcast and uh if you listen into the podcast up until this point, you probably are a hardcore listener of the podcast. So, uh, you know, if you do get a lot out of the podcast, um, uh, do consider please supporting the podcast on Patreon. It just helps me to pay all the bills associated with the podcast. And hopefully as time goes along, the more support we get, the more time I can put into this thing. I'd love to do even more podcasting, um, you know, and, and, and really devote more of my time uh, to this. So hopefully in the future, we'll be able to do that. So like I say, guys, don't forget, enjoy the festivities and let's all look forward to 2022. Hopefully we'll make some new, uh, you know, break some new ground in this in this fascinating topic. So uh, till next time, take it easy, stay curious and I'll catch you in the next one. UFO Podcast.